Amen. Our God is higher. Our God is more powerful. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful time it is. Thinking about that just kind of reminds me. I remember being a little boy. I used to love to go fishing. How many of you ever been fishing? A show of hands. How many of you have been fishing in a boat? Most of us might have been in a boat. Some might not. I remember my family used to get together on Saturday afternoon, sometimes during the week after dad got off work, and we would get in the boat and we would go out to Cross Lake, and we would fish there sometimes till evening time, sometimes through the night, but we would fish, and then as usual, when you're finished fishing, you would come back to the dock, and we would tie the boat up, and we would get out, and we would go, and dad would go get the car, and he would back the trailer back down into the little ramp there and we would begin to put the boat on he would get in there and give it gas and drive the boat on and tie it up and we'd pull off well there was one time that I decided I would sit in the boat while dad went and got the car mom and my two brothers and dad got out of the car he went to go get it when I began to realize that I was not tied to the dock And the dock was here and the boat was over here and I began to get a little further away and a little further away and I began to realize that I am now out of my parents' arm length to be able to grab and to pull the boat back and I realized I was in trouble. I began to yell for help while dad was walking away, mom was still there. And I'll tell you what happened in just a little bit as the dock began to get a little further and a little further away. Today, we're beginning our series of the five warnings out of Hebrews. And it was written, the book of Hebrew, to understand this, we need to understand who it was written to and why it was written, because that makes a, a big difference in determining what the book is saying and what it means. It was being written as a call to ultimate certainty and ultimate commitment. It was written to a group of believers. That is the number one first thing that we've got to understand to make this make sense. Otherwise, we could go in a different direction from what the author and from what God meant it. So we must understand it was written to the Hebrews, which would have been a Jewish group of people. Most likely they feel in the area of Italy, but it was written to this church and it was most likely not a large church. Because the churches were just beginning and they would have been in home churches, maybe 15, 20, 25 people tops that this original letter was being written to. And you know, they were living in a day that was insecure as the Christian faith is beginning in an anxiety-provoking society. Now, if we pause there for just a moment, I would have to say, and I think that you would agree with me, that today, those of us sitting in this room are living in what might be considered some insecure times. We don't understand what's going on this COVID that we've heard about that we experienced uh, for some time that kept us separated, and we thought one day that will be over, and we're still hearing about it today. And now we began to hear that they say that there's different strands of it or whatever, but we're living in unsecure times. And for many, they're in unsecure times because they don't have jobs. 
You can go to almost any store or restaurant today, and I almost will guarantee you majority of them will have a sign on the door saying, now hiring. When we made our way to um, the Southern Baptist Convention, our first night, we stopped to try to find a place to eat. I don't know how many places we went to. 11 o'clock at night, we finally found a Waffle House, and we were so ready to go in and sit down and eat. And at a Waffle House, we walked in the door, and we were told to go only. There was one cook and one employee. She said, I can't wait tables. You can go to Shreveport today and find restaurants that are giving sign-on bonuses trying to get people to work. There is an insecurity in our society today that can bring unrest. It can bring anxiety to us. It can make our minds begin to wonder. So I would say today we are living in an insecure, anxiety-provoking time and society just as were the Hebrews in their day of beginning. And we need, you know what we need today? I know I do, and I believe all of y'all, we need a fresh breath of life just blown right into us. Amen? Sometimes we get so down that we just need that fresh breath blown right into us. So what I want us to look at before we read our scriptures, our main point for today, we must pay close attention to the gospel. That will breathe life into us. That is our responsibility. That's how we can live in this insecure, anxiety-provoking society is if we pay close attention to the gospel If you would take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. For the next five weeks, we will be in the book of Hebrews looking at different passages of Scripture. But once you've turned to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 1. For this reason, we must... Pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels provided unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would now just help my flesh to step aside, Lord, as I'm a vessel. Lord, to be used by you, would you speak through me? Father, not what I have to say, but what you have for us today. Father, I pray that you speak to all of us and that, Father, you would help our ears to clearly be able to hear you and to discern what you're saying. And, Father, I just pray everything in the precious, the most powerful name of your son, Jesus. 
Amen. You may be seated. The writer of Hebrews was writing this letter to this group of Hebrews or Jewish believers in Christ. And he said, for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. From what? From the gospel. But why do we need to pay close attention? It says, for this reason. Well, he began to explain some very important things to these Hebrews. Remember, Hebrews was the group of people that God had chosen. He brought them out of Egypt, and they've become the Jewish nation. He's writing to these coming out of this Jewish tradition that they're accustomed to, what their life was, the blood sacrifice of animals, so many trips to the temple, all these 613 laws that you had to have. He's now writing to these Hebrews that have become Christians, and he wants them to understand what the gospel is and why the gospel is so important. You can imagine today, for just one moment, follow me through, If someone come in here from a Muslim faith and began to try to convince you to believe what they were saying, how long would it take before you shut down? If you're like me, probably as soon as they told me they were Muslim. Now, imagine... Being brought up Jewish, hearing the gospel message, being convicted by Holy Spirit and called into a life of Christianity. But what you have always been taught is what it's still lingering in the back of your mind. All of a sudden, all of your friends and your family who have not converted have nothing to do with you. No, that's what happens. Even today, for Jews who convert, for Muslims who convert, they're put out. They're no longer part of that. But he says, for this reason, he wants them to understand where their faith is anchored in. The anchor is what's going to hold you in place through the test of storm. You look out in the ocean at those big cruise liner boats, and they can sit out in the ocean and drop anchor and stand where they are through a storm. The anchor is what holds them. So for this reason, what reason? First of all, the supremacy of Christ. Christ is supreme over everything there is. He wants to begin to look at their belief. When we look at Hebrews chapter 1, let me just begin. This first part's not going to be on the screen, so let me read it to you. It said, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had been made pure, when he had purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having come as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. 
He wants them to understand that Christ is supreme in name, even over the angels. Now, this will be on the screen. Let's look here. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. He's trying to get them to understand that he is supreme over all things. God has called Jesus his son. He is to be over all. He will be with the father. And the father and him are one. Not only is he supreme, but Christ is also supreme in position to angels. I know that these are things that we understand today. Do you know why that is? We have the whole Bible. They didn't have the whole Bible when these letters were being written. And they had to go back into their custom. And you don't see it as much in the Old Testament. But when you get into the New Testament, there are some references. And the Jewish believed that when the law was given, that the angels were part of that giving of the law. And let's read here because he is higher than even them in position. Verse 6. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, the firstborn being Jesus Christ, he says, and let the angels of God worship him. And the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, both of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. The supremacy of Christ, even over the angels, not only in name, but in position. They were to worship him when he was born. We don't see anywhere in scripture that Christ worshiped the angels, God said that you're to worship him, and they worshiped him. God put him on the throne. We don't see an angel on a throne. Christ is supreme. He's the one on the throne. I'm not on the throne. You're not on the throne. Hopefully, you don't put yourself on the throne. But he is supreme. Not only is he supreme in name, position, but he also is supreme in authority. Hebrews 1, verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? He's superior in authority. Christ was there and active in the creation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is in a position of authority. He was there. He's going to last forever. The earth is eventually one day going to go away and God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. But Christ will still be the same. All those at his right hand, he will make 
the enemies a footstool for him. He needed the Jews to understand that Christ was supreme to the angels. Christ was supreme to the law that was given. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Now, I found it very interesting in studying that when you look at words, they a lot of times bring something out. He could have said that we need to pay attention to the gospel. The word that he would have used for gospel would have been a very familiar word to them. But he changed it to we have heard because he wanted their attention. Oftentimes when we begin to hear scripture that's familiar, we begin to tune out just a little bit. I've heard that before. Or the impact of what's trying to be made is not grasped. So he changed and said of what we have heard, talking of the gospel, the death the burial, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus Christ. We've got to pay close attention to that because if you do not, it says, you will drift from it. Now, let me pause there. I am not saying, nor is Scripture saying, that if you don't pay close attention to the gospel, you will lose your salvation. There are some who will take this and turn it. It says you will drift away with it. We don't lose it. There's another verse just right down that talks about ne neglecting it. But if you hear the gospel message and you don't pay attention to the death, the burial, the resurrection, and that it's grace and mercy from God... Nowhere in the gospel do we hear that it's our works. It's not these 613 laws that we must abide by. It's not no longer bringing an animal to an altar and sacrificing it. Jesus Christ was the ultimate and final sacrifice. His blood was enough. There's nothing else required for salvation. We don't have to continue to do it. We don't have to continue to sacrifice animals as was their custom. You see, the problem with some of these Hebrews is as they came into the Christian faith and they began to live under the new covenant of his blood, they began to become ridiculed. It began to feel a, a little different to them. And some of them were drifting back to Judaism. And he says, you got to be careful if you don't pay close attention. Why is it important to understand the supremacy of Christ when he's talking about this? Well, verse 2 says, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, talking about angels had spoken, part of bringing the law, and it said every transgression and disobedience. Why two different words? Transgression is a sin of commission, something you do. Disobedience is the sin of omission, something you don't do that you're supposed to do. So in the old law or the old covenants that was given, there were 
consequences if you failed to obey God. And there were consequences if you did things you were not supposed to. And consequences for things that you didn't do that you were supposed to do. And he says, if an angel proved to be unoperable and you received a just penalty, there was a penalty in the law. If you sinned by doing this, here's your penalty. If you didn't do this, here's your penalty. And he said, that was only given by, maybe could I say, mere angels? But then he moves on and he says, how will we escape it if we neglect so great a salvation as it was at first spoken through the Lord? Changes from using Jesus here to Lord to show the divine nature to something they would understand. So he was telling this Jewish group, these Hebrews, if you are so worried about what the angels say and the consequences of that, how much more with the supremacy of Christ speaking the gospel do you not think that there will be punishment for not paying attention? You can drift away. There is a punishment. He says to neglect so great a salvation. What's he talking about here? Second thing, the salvation of Christ. He wanted these believers, these Hebrews, these Jews to understand their salvation was great. It wasn't any just salvation. It wasn't just being picked by God. It's a great salvation that came at a great cost. He tells them right there in that verse, how can we escape if we neglect, verse 3, so great a salvation after it was the first spoken through the Lord? It was confirmed up by us, those who heard. The writer of Hebrews is putting himself in there with we and those who had heard. Most around at this time were not there when Christ was alive. They were not there for Christ's death and resurrection, but the message has been passed down to them from those who heard the gospel. And he said it is a great gospel that come from God in the person of the Son, leaving glory coming to earth, clothed in flesh, living a life perfect, dying on the cross for you, he said, it's a great salvation. And how are you going to take that just as nothing there? And then he talks about the suffering of Christ. Let me read to you beginning in verse 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. 
For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put myself, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives helps to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The sufferings of Christ. He suffered death. You know, he had flesh. He had feelings. He was ridiculed. He suffered just like they were suffering. Jesus came and he was a Jewish boy and then he began proclaiming, I'm the son of God. They laughed at him. They made fun of him. They put him off altogether, the pain and the ridicule, the the beating. So he's trying to get these Jews to understand that even God testified to this through the miracles after Christ was there so that you would know that it was him. So he wants them to understand, pay close attention. You might be being persecuted, but so was God. Do you think you're any better than he is? You might have a little ridicule. You might want to go back to your old ways saying, but he says you've got to pay closer attention to this. He said it's the gospel. It's the anchor. It's the anchor that must hold you to be able to stand firm in these insecure times. That's what he was trying to to get them to understand was the anchor. Oh uh-huh. 
It's the anchor that holds in spite of the storm. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the anchor. The gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus. It is who he is. His purpose is salvation through the grace and the mercy of God. For these Hebrews that he was writing to, he said, for this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. They knew about a boat being tied up and how it could drift away if it was not secured to the anchor. But there are times that even believers become loosed from the anchor. The anchor is still there. In church today, I say for this reason, because of the supremacy of Christ, the salvation of Christ, and the suffering of Christ, we must, as believers of Jesus Christ, pay close attention to the gospel in these days that are insecure and uncertain, in the storms of life that all of us are walking through right now, how easy it is to drift from the anchor. But we must understand that he is over everything. You know, he's not only supreme over the angels. He is supremacy over everything. Every trouble you have, every storm you walk through, Christ is greater than that. And if we neglect, which we so often do, do we not think that there will be penalties for that? Pastor, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord, so are these. Their problem was coming from the Jewish tradition and all of its laws and things that they had to do over to Christianity. Accepting a gift from God through grace and mercy and the ultimate and one-time sacrifice. Many, if not all of us in here today, have accepted Jesus Christ. Amen? We understand that his son was perfect, died on the cross, went in the tomb, three days later came out, resurrected, and he's coming back. And we believe that. But in the storms of life and in our life, how quickly after salvation do we return to being the life we were before? People don't want nothing to say. People want to keep their distance. Young folks, working folks, married folks, retired folks, senior adults, senior people. Today's church 
is in the situation it is and America is in the situation it is today because we hadn't been paying close attention and we want to drift back to the way we were before because it was comfortable and people want to talk to us. Go through life and look around. How many people can you tell by watching their life are holy and set apart by God? Look at your own life, church. Do you spend time every day with such a great salvation? Do you spend time every single day with Jesus Christ and spend time in his word? Or is it an inconvenience and you've got to live life like everybody else? They had penalties. The word says that if we neglect so great a salvation, how do we expect that it's not for us as well? The Lord confirmed it. Are you loosed from the anchor today? Is your life different today according to the gospel of salvation than it was before? Many of you would probably say, yes, my life is different. So I want to leave you with one last question because you have to wrestle these between you and God if you're loose from the anchor or not. If you had to give an account right now For the life you're living, are you as close to God as you were several years ago? Or are you further away? For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unaudible and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape? And I say it just like that. How will we? How will you? How will I? How will we if we drift away? Maybe by your heads.